tired. So tired. Overtired. Well, hey, Christine, it's your turn to do the intro. It is my turn. Hey, guys, you're listening to Overtired. I'm Christina. He's Brett. How are you doing, Brett? You kind of screwed it up. I mean, it, it all got there, but I sensed a hesitancy. There was. Yeah, I was. I messed it up this week. You were um, second guessing yourself as it was coming out of your was. mouth. You know why? You, why? Because you just got your second vaccine. Bingo. That's exactly right. I did. I am now full of the 5G and uh, got my second dose of the vaccine. Had a little fever, some joint pain, some arm pain, some feeling like everything was sucked out of me, but I'm on the up and up now. I'm still not 100%, but I'm feeling a lot better. And honestly, would take this times 10, right? Like I've never, like I said before, like I've never been happier to feel kind of crappy for a day or so. Like bring it on. Yeah. I just got my second Pfizer shot on Wednesday. And how are you doing? I had taken like Thursday off. I figured like the first shot, I was pretty sick for the day after. I was mm-hmm. not really up for doing anything. So I took uh, Thursday off with the assumption that I was going to feel like crap. And I actually felt pretty much fine. Like my arm hurt like crazy, but totally. uh, in a low grade headache all day, but my energy didn't like I was fine. And then today, I got some of the other symptoms, including having to spend some extra time in the bathroom. We'll just call it that. Okay, some stomach problems. Yes. That seems like a a polite way to put it. Yes. But that's settling down now, too. So all in all, like I, the second shot was actually easier for me than the first one. For anyone who's got that vaccine hesitancy, because the second one sounds scary. It, it totally sounds scary, but, but I've been I've been trying to tell people is like a everybody's you know responses seem to be different. It's people who are older or who have immune systems that might not be as great apparently have less side effects, which great be, because this is what they claim anyway that like what you're getting is like your immune system fighting stuff. Right. But even if like you're hesitant, you're kind of worried. It's not the end of the world. It's not like the worst you know, thing you've ever had is just like, oh yeah, this is more than what you would get from a flu shot, which makes sense because as we've been trying to tell people for the last year plus, this is not the flu. Yeah. And there's a time limit on these side effects. Like for the vast majority of people, it's max 48 hours. Exactly. That's the thing, right? So if you can schedule it like towards the end of the week, I would say to do that if you're really worried. But I mean, I think even like the most unhelpful employers (laughs) are all like, at least in the United States and the rest of the world tends to have better labor practices than we do. So we're talking about the U.S. here. I think that's probably where most of our audience is anyway. But I think even like the most like horror, like bad employers are like, yeah, we'll understand if you're feeling kind of shitty for 48 hours max after your vaccine dose. Like it's a small amount of pain for a huge amount of upside and I'm what strikes me and I don't I've been thinking about this a lot we haven't talked about this that much on our podcast and we don't talk about science and I'm not a science person but I'm so just still stunned and floored by what they have been able to do with the vaccines yeah. in such a short period of time yeah like like it's it's nothing short of remarkable I was I was recording a podcast earlier this week for for Microsoft and Microsoft CTO Kevin Scott was interviewing a molecular chemist at University of Washington and they were talking about some of this stuff and the doctor, I can't think of his last name right now, he was saying that the technology that we have 
10 or 15 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do what we're doing now. And just thinking about how impressive it is, especially like all of the work is impressive. I'm not wanting to take away from like one type of vaccine over another, but especially with the mRNA vaccines, like that from a technological standpoint is so fascinating and is so incredible that they've been able to do this in such a short period of time. As a side note, though, and this isn't yeah. to belittle that, this is in support of that, The especially the mRNA vaccine, they didn't start developing this when COVID started. Like these, like vaccines of this type, the idea of a, a global influenza pandemic has been predicted for some time. And companies were kind of banking, like research R&D was banking on the fact that this was bound to happen. So like, it wasn't that they were starting from scratch and suddenly surprised by the idea of COVID. No, uh, absolutely. But the interesting thing is because what they can kind of do now is they can program the types of proteins and molecules and like, I guess, like RNA, like kind of like outline things of what they need. Like that's the impressive thing is they're basically able to like program what they need to to combat these things. Whereas in the past, how the scientist was explaining it is that historically stuff has been like, you look at, it's like, you look at nature and you're like, okay, how does this occur in nature? And what can we take that is already naturally occurring? It wasn't intentional. So like, if you wanted to solve a problem, like you would look to, to nature and you'd find something there and then you figure like, how do we modify it? So you'd look into nature and you'd be like, okay, what naturally exists that could counteract this disease or whatever. Yeah. But now they can actually design these things with intent. And as you said, they've been working on this technology for years and they've been ready for this. So they're able to do it but it's this culmination of, of all this scientific and, and technological research that has sped up to the point that even with that head start, it's still nothing short of incredible to me that we are, from like a scientific and techn- technology-like standpoint, at that place where they can do these things and they can be effective. Like, it's it's truly sci-fi, right? Like, and in a good way. It's spilling over into other areas of research, too. Like, the strides we made working on the COVID vaccine have had implications in everything from Alzheimer's to cancer research as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, and I think that it's kind of invigorated that community a little bit. One of the other things that the, the professor and scientist said was that the actual thing, and I think this is true and and fair, but this actually goes to the cancer and Alzheimer's stuff too, is that evaluating safety takes longer than the design. And so a lot with a lot of these things, and certainly we saw this with the vaccines, and that's why they did testing and they certainly are trying to be cautious with it. But we've been seeing like what the real bottlenecks have been. And I would argue this is accurate. Like I don't think this is a a bad thing. I think that this is the, the right bottleneck, but the real bottleneck hasn't been how long does it take to design this? It's been, okay, how do we ensure that this is safe? And but still when you think about that, like historically with vaccines and with other sorts of scientific breakthroughs, the amount of time to design that system would be many times longer than the time that you would need to evaluate it. Is this safe or not? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that it's switched and I love it. Like it's really great. And I hope that we see more of these breakthroughs in areas like Alzheimer's and cancer and the rare diseases that we haven't ever maybe been able to spend a lot of money and, and time focusing on because it they affect such a small portion of people and you can only, you know, do so much, but it's like, okay, if you, again, if you're able to design these things with intent and you're able to kind of map these things to solve specific problems, 
that could really change things for a whole lot of people. We'll get to Star Trek level medical science at some point. I hope so. Did you know that there, like, there is a non-trivial amount of physics research that goes into warp drives? Like, I mean, they're currently an, an impossibility. And we have Einstein's kind of speed limit of the speed of light for objects mm-hmm. of mass. But like the idea first floated in the 30s of being able to warp space time to move faster than the speed of light became kind of the premise for Star Trek and mm-hmm. all like space travel since then. So like all of these physicists have been working there. There are peer-reviewed published papers on this dating back 50 years, and they've been working to figure out, like, how can we make warp drives real? And that's- Which I love that. I am. It's funny you mentioned that because actually some of the other people that Kevin Scott has interviewed over the course of the couple of years we've done our podcast, like he interviewed a, a science fiction author and technologist. I can't think of the guy's name, but he's relatively famous. And it is interesting to see. And I love this because- as nerds, like this does appeal to us, but it is so interesting to see both the ways that sci-fi has had a direct influence on people researching the real ways to make that happen. And then you also have the corollary, which is the real things that are out there have been inspirations to sci-fi. Yeah. Like it's this really cool, fulfilling prophecy, like like self, like like circular kind of thing, which is awesome. But no, I, I love actually thinking about the fact that you have like high-minded physicists who are having to write papers that are in some ways not different, not that different from the papers that I wrote in college when I was a film major, <laughs> like like analyzing Star Trek, except they're taken from like a very scientific standpoint versus me, which was like looking at the structure and the other stuff. But at the same, but at the same time, it's like about the same thing, right? Like you're yeah. taking this fantasy, this medium and being like, okay, but how could we make that happen? And I mean, I think that's brilliant. I love it. I've gotten back into reading William Gibson recently. Oh, I love William Gibson. Yeah, like, and uh, like Neuromancer. I can't remember what year Neuromancer came out, but late 80s, early 90s. And like, 84. 84. Jeez. Yeah, like he was prescient about all of this stuff. Like, I mean, this is the, this is a guy who coined the term cyberspace. Like, he, he knew yeah. what was up. Uh, oh, he did, yeah. The Grant, references to the Matrix and all of that mm-hmm. is in there. It's cool stuff. Yeah, I Grant actually, when we first started dating, read Neuromancer to me, and that was the first time I'd ever gotten oh, into that's it. Romantic. At all. It is actually, <laughs> and like I'd read Philip K. Dick, and I'd done some sci-fi stuff, but not a lot of it, to be honest. And I really wasn't familiar with cyberpunk when we started dating because I was relatively young, and like I was into other types of fiction and whatnot, but like. Yeah, the cyberpunk genre. I mean, I'd seen Akira and and things like that, but sure. like I really wasn't familiar with like the. To be honest, I really wasn't familiar with the reading stuff. And yeah, like Neuromancer, I want to go back and read that because it's so good. And I would like to read some of his other things too because everything I've read by him is just incredible. I had I had Patrick Roan on Systematic yesterday, and it was a great episode. Anyone who hasn't heard that should check it out. But William Gibson came up in a larger literary discussion, but also Neil Stevenson and Snow mm-hmm. Crash. And yep. I, I think I'm going to finish Neuromancer, and then I'm going to do Mona Lisa Overdrive. But then I think I am going to go revisit Snow Crash. Yeah, I read Snow Crash. I don't remember how long ago I read it, but I remember also like being really good. And it was so weird for me um, reading some of this stuff after 
basically a whole lifetime of those concepts being infused in my culture and my upbringing, but without knowing like what some of the basis for that was, right? Right. right. Like that's the interesting thing is that it's like, if you ask the average person, have you read Neuromancer? Or what's it about? Most of them would be like, no. But when you bring in the themes that were explored there that maybe came out before people were born, maybe right after, maybe just but are, become like touchstones to our yeah. culture, even for people who think that they're completely disconnected from all of that, right? Even people who don't identify with that, like those concepts, like the, like the matrix lives on, like it's depressing and upsetting for me that the term red pilling exists, right? right? Like, like that's very upsetting, especially given the, and, and the things that they stand for and whatnot. But like that just goes to show you, like there are all these things that have been these cultural touchstones that have become infused in ways. I'm repeating myself, but like you, we wouldn't even know it. And I think that like Snow Crash is one of those. Like Neuromancer, there's some of the others. Blade Runner gets, I think, the right amount of praise and the right amount of recognition. Yeah, yeah. because it is like that outsized, like the one everybody knows. Yeah, even though. If you asked most people, have you ever seen Blade Runner? They would say no, which is like the funny thing. But I think it gets the right amount of, of recognition. But some of these other things, it's just so interesting to think about like all these little things that we're not even aware of that have just become part of our culture. And yeah. The weird thing about Snow Crash is like the 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 title refers to static on a monitor. And that's a concept that kids today, they've never seen a TV turn on and be nothing but static. Right. And so it's got it was well, it was the same at the beginning of Neuromancer. There's he refers to this kind of this blue haze that was intended to reference the the warming up of a CRT tube mm-hmm. that that moment before the picture comes on. And Gibson's like, yeah, I made these references that seemed so in, embedded in our culture that I never imagined there would be a generation that had no idea what that looked like, but. Speaking of red pilling, did you know Prager U did a breakdown of 1984 where they tried to cast Donald Trump as Winston? Oh my god! <laughs> I feel like oh they got it god. a little bit upside down. I mean, <laughs> oh my god! It's like, and what's so interesting to me is okay, and it's not like I like Ayn Rand because she had many problems, but people like to take her politics and her things and like apply it to the whole dystopic fiction genre. And it's like, you you couldn't be more wrong, right? Like Huxley and Bradbury and Orwell were not that. And so a lot of these books and these things that people on that end try to like use as confirmation for their own theories, it's like, you're not understanding what this is saying, right? Like, I'll be honest, I think that on the left, people go way too far too. And sometimes veer into stuff where I'm frankly uncomfortable. And I'm like, okay, hold up. But they're certainly not like trying to reframe 1984 into being something that it wasn't. Like, into being the opposite of what it was. That's what I'm saying, right? I mean, it's always been funny to me because I've seen this where I've seen like people on the right and trying to retake Brave New World and trying to apply it to their own things. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you don't understand the historical context of when it was written. You don't know anything about Huxley. You don't know anything about what it was saying. Like, this is not what you think it is at all. And uh, Cancel culture is not Big Brother, turns out. 
Exactly. It's like like Brave New World was published in 1932. Like it, it is, if you look at like the social climate of the UK then, and if you look at like what Huxley believed in, he is not someone who is railing against the same things that the, the right wing today is railing against. Yeah. To, to, to be fair, there are also things that he rails against in parodies that I think sometimes people on the, the far, far left would embrace. And I think that's problematic as well. But that doesn't mean that it is in any way something that like the right can claim because it's not about that. It's like, no, he's actually anti-fascism, like anti-state control. Like, what are you not understanding? Yeah. Speaking of people off their rockers, you want to do a health corner? Yeah, let's do a health corner. So what's up with the Brett's mental health update? I took a week. I did. I didn't even work on bunch. I should say I took three or four days and in anticipation, I got a start date for my job. Awesome. Yeah. I saw that on Facebook, I think, or Twitter. When, when's your start date? May 3rd. So, Hell yeah. So at the, when I got the start date, it meant I had two weeks. So I decided to take that first week and just fuck off and, and kind of gather my wits, I suppose. And then Absolutely. now man. I'm on to the part where I try to wrap up as many of my personal projects as possible. But yeah, it was kind of weird. Like I watched a lot of YouTube and played a lot with kittens and just, and just, I just took some time. It was unusual for me. I feel okay. It's all going to work out. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. They did this background check that's still ongoing. I'm, I'm not supposed to talk too much about the hiring process. That's part of but one of the things that Oracle said, you're welcome to talk about your new job, but here are the, so I'm going to tiptoe around this, but the the hiring process includes a background check just to verify stuff on your resume. But I'm being asked to verify that I was self-employed from 2014 till now. And like, I've had income coming from so many different sources that most of them weren't big enough to trigger tax documents or anything like that. So I have my blog. Right. I have years of podcast episodes. Like I have an online trail that shows exactly what I was doing, but I right. don't know how to verify it. No. Yeah. I ran into a similar issue with my like background check when I joined Microsoft in so far as I worked at digital media companies who don't answer their phones. Yeah. And so verifying employment became like this really stressful thing, especially at Mashable, where I worked for seven years. And they wouldn't answer their phones and they wouldn't do other things. And finally, I had to like email the HR bitch. And I was like, hey, I need a letter verifying that I worked here because I'm starting a job and, and this is of utmost importance. And then she blew me off. She was like, yeah, let's pay her all this week. So it might be a while. <laughs> and I was like, bitch. Fortunately, this very nice kid who who worked for her, who ironically we'd switched jobs like the same week. Like he left Gawker and went to Mashable, and I left Mashable and went to Gawker. So, and and we were also located in the same building. So it wasn't one of those things where I couldn't just pop upstairs and grab this. And it's like it would have taken her two seconds to print something out, and I could have gone upstairs and grabbed this. It, it was the dumbest thing. And he was like, "No, I'll get this out to you." And he got me a letter, and I was able to get it to them. But it was frustrating. Also, Univision, ironically, the phone number on the paycheck didn't work because it was one of those things like you don't want to blow up. Like in your case, you didn't have this issue, but like I didn't want to blow up my spot necessarily like with my coworkers to be like, hey, 
I've got a new job and I haven't told people yet because I didn't tell people until the background check was clear. Sure. I'm not dumb. And and I was trying to be because you never like I wasn't to my knowledge, I hadn't done anything that would preclude me from working. I had the same nervousness. Right. I have yeah. a clean you history. Have, yeah. Totally. You have just that the natural paranoia. And so Univision wouldn't do it. So I got my W-2s, but finally I just told Sarah, the receptionist, I was like, somebody's going to call and they're going to ask if I work here. And if you could just say yes, she was like, cool, no problem. Congrats on the new job. I was like, thanks. But it but it ended up taking like another 10 days because of that. So I, I feel you on your issue because you have all this stuff and you're like, how do I verify this? Well, like I For like four, four years of my quote unquote employment history, I was running my own business that I eventually right. like it bankrupted. Wow. So I, I, I don't have like, that was 10 years ago. I don't have the like incorporation documents or anything. Fortunately, they don't seem to be asking about that. I mean, there's an incorporation record that the business at some point existed. I'm sure I'm listed as the owner. I, I think that one's going to be okay. It's this this years of being a writer, podcaster, blogger, <laughs> freelancer that I, I... It's it's called the creator economy or you're an influencer. Creator, I think, though, is that's the term du jour. Creator. All right. That's what I'll tell them. Because it's an outsourced company. It's not, I'm not actually working with Oracle on this. I'm working with uh, right. a third party. Yeah. That's usually how that works, unfortunately. I don't remember who Microsoft used, but they used somebody. And then I have to go through a thing. It's a, it's much um, shorter, but I have to, every two years, I have to go through like a much smaller background check because I work on cloud. Yeah. So because I work on cloud stuff, I have to go through like another like like every two years they have to like verify like okay you haven't been convicted of financial fraud and that's what i've been told are like the things they care about like they don't care about other types of convictions or whatever they're like have you been convicted of like financial crimes it's very specific crime that affects our, our credibility and liability yeah right right and i'm like no i i have not so yeah Speaking but, uh, of but, financial crimes. <laughs> amazing segue. What did you think I was segueing into? The Dogecoin? Yes, that is correct. I thought you were, I was worried you thought that was a sponsor segue. It, no, not, I in fact, how I would segue into today's sponsor. No, I, I did not think that you would segue into a, into a sponsor segue that way, because that would not be what we would want. No. Tell me about where you're at with your Dogecoin. <sighs> Well, friends, uh, there's a great episode of The Simpsons from their, I think it was the seventh season, the best season, Bart on the Road, where they go on spring break and Bart uh, gets a driver's license and then is able to rent a car. And Martin joins them because he's rich, because he won a bunch of money in the futures market. And there's this scene where he's buying things like soy soy and he's getting all of his uh, money and he's like, you're, you're up $5,000 or whatever. And he was like very happy. And then he was like, you're down to everything, but whatever dollars, Martin, you got greedy, Martin. That's basically my Dogecoin story. So I'm still up and I took out my $500 initial investment. I did go ahead and, and take that out. Having said that, the whole thing has it like hit a high of like 42 cents. I probably should have sold it all then, but I didn't. But now it and crypto in general have just crashed. So I'm still up from where I was, to be clear. But like the whole thing is just, it, yeah, it is it is down. Times. Oh, I no, know. it made the Wall Street Journal. Oh, yeah. It was the, on CNBC. It was like a bubble of sorts, but 
Massively. And we all knew that this is dumb and it's up a little bit from where it was yesterday. It dropped a ton. But yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah, it's a product. It's all futures. There's like absolutely no like real value to this. Like it's nothing but a bubble. If it has any value at all, it's all bubble. It has no value. Uh, Well, no, it is literally the most. And I explained this to you before. It is the most irrational, stupid thing because there's no limit on how many coins can exist. (laughs) <laughs> like, 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 like it was literally created. So I like, like it was literally created to make fun of Bitcoin. Like sure. literally the reason it was created was for that reason. So like the Doge creator is not happy. I, I've seen, I haven't seen recent interviews, but I've seen interviews in the past where he was like not happy that there was actually like demonstrable value in this thing that he created. Like to be a meme and to make fun of the stupidity of stuff. Like there used to be a Reddit bot that would like alert the like award you doge for doing certain things. And I just, I didn't even buy it the right way. Like I bought it on Robinhood, which means that I don't even own the coin in the sense that I couldn't transfer it to a wallet and then do other stuff with it. I just like bought it with fiat and we'll exchange it in fiat, which is the asshole term for real money. And I knew that. And I was like, I don't care. Like this is just the easiest way to do it. I don't want to go through like, trying to get an exchange in a wallet and all that. So I don't care because this is funny to me. Like this whole thing is just stupid and I'm still up, but I'm down like from where I was. Like if I'd sold, like I should have sold last Friday and I would have like, I would have tripled my money. Yeah, it was like 500% um, at that point. Yeah, totally. It was ridiculous. And I did not, but I have no regrets because I went into this thing for the meme. The Wall Street Journal did point out that the first woman elected to office in the US was put on the ballot as a joke and that sometimes things that start as joke do end up having real value. Yeah, I mean, it's it, look, it's whatever the market wants to pay for, it, right? If the market thinks that something is real enough and they can do that, like but there's no rationality here. Like it is truly like a GameStop sort of situation, but even dumber <laughs> because again, like there's no limit to this. Like that's the thing. And it's like, if, if you just wanted to grind and create more and more of this, like there's not like, at least with Bitcoin as dumb as it is, like there's a finite number of them and that's it. And so you could theoretically see that's why the value will go up because you can't create anymore. And so inflation sure. doesn't exist in kind of the traditional way, but this is even with regular money, like, they don't just print more of it. They have to be very strategic about how and why they decide to infuse more cash and, like, introduce more money into the system. So this doesn't have any of that. So it's dumb. It's just stupid. But I knew that. Like, as we discussed last week, I knew that. And I was just like, I was just going with Justin's advice. He was like, look, as long as you're up even a dollar, you're up. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. And And then the way I look at it, and this is, like, from such a privileged, selfish asshole place, but it's true. Because A, I forgot that I had the money in this account, so I didn't care. I'd already like budgeted around it. But B, if I lose, that's a tax write-off. So either way, I win. Like I'm not mad either way. Did I ever tell you about working when I was working in Vegas? Like not working in, like I had jobs that would take me to Vegas and we would stay in hotels. And I learned... Like I, I was drinking at the time, and I learned that if you had money in the video poker machine, your drinks were free and they would bring you food as long as you were playing. So I would go down to the bar with a $20 bill, slip it into the video slot machines right at the bar, 
and then just keep playing enough that I didn't run out of money. So like, and I basically my goal would be to drink for free and pull out 20 bucks at the end of the night. As long as I was up a dollar, I was good. I love that. I love that. The, The alcoholics guide to working in Las Vegas. No, I mean, I think that's a, a smart thing to do. I mean, and that is, I think, one of Vegas's greatest grifts and how they are always able to ensure that the house always wins or whatever is the whole, like, we will give you free drinks <laughs> and free food as long as you're playing. Because people are like, oh, see, I'm making money off of this. This is a great deal. And not realizing the drunker I get, like, the, 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 the more full I feel, the more willing I am going to be just continuing Lower to shove inhibition. money into this. Exactly. The insidious scent marketing. Have you ever read about the smells they pump into casinos? It's disturbing. Like, I mean, Macy's does the same thing. Like, scent marketing is not bizarre, but they have very, they've spent so much money on researching exactly what fragrances and smells will lower people's inhibition and increase their willingness to spend big. Scary stuff. Yeah. It is. And then the lights, that's another thing too. They mm-hmm. like never know what they, you like never know what time yeah. it is because it's always bright. Like, like they, they never want you to know that it's three o'clock in the morning. They never want you to, you know, like, like there are I'm, so many things that they do from a psychological level, which is really I'm not going to lie. I like it. Like I love, I'm not a gambling addict. Like I've never not been able to walk away. But I really love that feeling of that the next one's going to be the big, hit for me. Like no matter what game I'm right. playing, that feeling, the combination of the lights and the sounds and the smell and just this like on the precipice of winning big feeling, even if full well you're not, I do enjoy gambling. Yeah. I mean, I always was one of those things. I, I wouldn't call myself an addict because I don't have an, an, I do not have an addictive personality and I am always able to stop, but I do like the feeling. And like as a kid, I figured out really early on that I could maybe like it too much and could, it could maybe be problematic if I didn't like keep myself in check because I had the video game Vegas Stakes for Super Nintendo <laughs> and I was like 10 years old and that was how I learned to play poker and some other things and I loved that game and I would like it because your whole thing is to win like as you know much money as you can and to go to better and better hotels and things and whatnot and I was Miss Christina and that's what they would call me and like you'd get upgraded to like the next hotel and you go into these nice little suites and all this stuff and like it was great and I had a great time playing it but it was one of those things where I would play for like hours a day and I'd be like Ugh, okay this could be a problem right like if this were my real money, this this could be a problem. And when I was 16, I was on a cruise and I was gambling illegally. And I did really well, but I, I you know, cashed out. My sister kept being like, go more. And I was like, no, I, I think that I would, I would enjoy this too much. So I'm always able to stop myself. But I, I like you, I enjoy it. Like, I'm always able to set like a, a clear limit with myself being like, this is the maximum amount you are willing to lose. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I'm not the per- sort of person like – so I am I have a strong enough like personality and strong enough like control to be able to be like, I'm not going to lose more than this. And once I hit this mark, I'm done. What I don't have is like the impulse to be like, I'm not going to play until I lose this much, right? Because sometimes – because it can go either way. Like sometimes you cash out and you make a lot and you're you're great. But there's also kind of that – there could be that compulsion, which is like, okay, I've given myself permission to lose $500, but I'm going to continue to play until I lose $500, right? Yeah. So. I, 
Yeah, I've, I have like no, I have no negative gambling stories. Like I've always either had fun losing the amount of money I said it was okay to lose, or I've come out ahead. And yeah, I for, considering my personality, considering how easily I get addicted to things, I think it's actually pretty impressive that gambling has never I, sent me into a I, bad place. I'm actually going to say I'm pretty impressed with that too. Yeah. And I've never had the, like, I would never feel bad about it, right? Like I've always had a, a good time and I would never do it if I didn't like feel good about it. The thing where I have been able to kind of be maybe in a place where you don't realize how much you're spending and it again, never become a problem. But I wrote a post about it once and I can't find it, but like I spent $800 on Candy Crush once. Whoa. That's yeah. problematic. I agree. <laughs> agree like not at one time but it was just over it was over the course of a couple of months that's why i, added I, I won't play any game where you can pay to get ahead because i will make that mistake or i will think ten dollars yeah, here isn't such a big deal i'm really enjoying no, this it's fun well, well that's the thing right and, and it was never to get ahead it was just for extra lives and stuff like that it's just because you want to continue to play and when i did the math and i realized how much i'd spent over a couple of months on candy crush like my colleagues were freaked out it's it makes I you was, feel sick to your stomach, huh? It, it does. I mean, I was amused more than anything, to be honest. Like, I wasn't super. I oh, yeah, because you're rich. I forgot. Oh, I I wasn't rich then, and I'm not <laughs> rich now. Like, trust me. I'm, I'm, I mean, like, for some people's standards, maybe. But I'm not. But it's like where I live and what. Yeah, I'm, I'm not rich. It's certainly, I'm not the sort of person you can just I lose $800. I didn't like, you. It's okay. No, I, you're not. I'm just trying to be clear. Like this was when I lived in New York and I was certainly not, right? And I, I didn't have, because I wasn't getting paid um, what I'm being paid now. And my cost of living and other expenses and stuff were greater. And so, but, but it was over a couple of months. And yeah, you do feel, kind of feel sick, but it was not one of those things where I was like, beating myself up over it, if that makes any sense, right? I, I looked at it more as like, oh, this is kind of funny, but this is bad. But it was one of those things I also was like, at least I get like writing material out of it. But it did make me consider and make me go, okay, I can't play these types of games. So I have to give myself like a hard limit on stuff like that. That's actually something I wish that Apple would do. Like they allow you to limit ages of people who can yeah. do in that purchases, but like, why not just limit the amount? Like, and I know why they don't do it. They don't do it because they, they make cut. so much uh, yeah. money. Right. No, and that that's the thing that's insidious to me about it. Like, don't give me this bullshit about how much you care about privacy and safety and security and all this shit and the integrity of the app store. And then you're literally making billions and billions of dollars off of people who because we the, the stories about like the whales who keep a lot of those big games afloat are not uncommon. And and you do have people who do what I did, but we're not in a financial position to do so sure. and didn't like find it funny and like it can destroy lives. And so I, I find like in general, I'm not in favor of Epic's position against Apple on a lot of levels. Although I do think that like some of Apple's rules and around the app store are arbitrary and we've discussed that before. But in general, I'm not on Epic's side. What I do find egregious and, and hypocritical is like you talk about the integrity of the app store, but yet you allow these like predatory apps to prey on people and you take a cut and it's like if you really cared you would allow a mechanism to exist that says okay after a certain just like screen time after you've spent a certain amount of money in a game you can't do it anymore unless you explicitly go in and override it yeah. right like, like don't even make it so that you're saying okay once you're done like you have to explicitly go in and override it because for a lot of people what i think that would do it's not 
for, for the whales, they might still go in and do that, right? Like they, they might still, they might never set that limit and they might override it if that happens. But for people like me who aren't realizing what they've spent on something until they look at it and they're like, oh my God, what did I just do? Yeah. It would be a time to have to reflect and go, oh, I've just spent $25 on this. Well, it is just like screen time. Like you don't realize yeah. how much you've been looking at your phone until screen time tells you. It's really exactly. easy to lose track of that stuff. Completely. And it's like, okay, if you're so worried about the screen stuff and like, which I think is considerably less problematic and, and <laughs> totally. considerably less. It's like, okay, we care so much about the kids and the screen time and how much you're focused on this. So we're going to give you these pop-ups and limit your app usage. You can override it and whatnot, but we're not going to give you a limit on how much you can spend in an in, in app purchase. And it's like, don't tell me you care. Yep. You don't care. And that's fine. Like, I want to be very clear. I'm not asking that they care. Like, they don't have to. But don't present yourself as the caring company. I, like, like it's fine to, to want the money and not give a shit. Just don't pretend like you do. I can't think of a better time to segue into this week's sponsor. Amazing. I'm going to start by telling a, a short story. This is part of the sponsor break. But this is all, this is real. This is from my heart. I Over the last six years, I've been independently employed, and there was a period where my health insurance was costing me 900 bucks a month, and I was paying hundreds of dollars for my prescriptions, and I felt like I had no choice but to start putting that stuff onto a credit card. And it very quickly racked up to a point where I had enough credit card debt that I couldn't afford to make much higher than monthly payment, uh, like minimum payments on it. And the debt was high enough to my asset ratio that I couldn't take out loans to cover it. And I got into this really ugly place. And our sponsor today is upstart.com. Well, upstart, which you can find it, upstart.com slash overtired. And they will give you an upfront estimate and rate on a loan between one and $50,000 that you can use to pay off your credit card debt at a far lower interest rate. And they do it all like you go in, you, it took me five minutes and I signed up, I got approved for a loan that will wipe out my credit card debt. And I will have the money in my bank account in two days. And I have a five-year plan with auto withdrawals to pay it off. I will be saving almost $16,000 on what I would have paid if I had continued to make minimum payments on my credit card. Yeah, so this is awesome. I am, I'm a customer myself now. So if you're carrying credit card balance month after month, you're, on, you're not the only one. I... I Take it from me. High interest rates make it super hard to pay off your debt, and Upstart is here to help. Join thousands of happy borrowers who have made that final payment. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. Like I said, I couldn't get a loan based on just a, a standard credit report, and they mm -hmm. were able to see that I'm I'm making enough money. I've never missed a payment. Like 
It's I just needed a better deal. Uh, so this means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between one and $50,000, and you can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash overtired. That's upstart.com slash overtired. And don't forget to use our URL so they know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. So again, go to upstart.com slash overtired and start paying off that credit card debt. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that. And I'm glad to hear that like you saved all that money. I think a lot of people, like I haven't ever been in that situation with credit cards, but I have, it's been close. And I know a lot of people who have, and it's an insidious industry and the way that it preys on people where, like you said, the minimum payments don't even cover the interest in some cases right. and just really make things bad. I have had instances where things have gone into collections and years pass and you're able to kind of finagle it and, and sometimes yeah. get the get it down and sometimes not. I've had that and I've had that happen to me before and it has impacted me, you know, negatively. And so I think I've never been to collections. I have always paid my bills. And that's what's frustrating about it is yeah, like I stopped using those credit cards over a year ago. Yet my monthly minimum payment keeps going up because just making the minimum payment, the interest was was piling up faster than the the payments could cover, even without spending anything. It was horrible. It was it was making me lose sleep, and now I'm sleeping much better. I'm really glad to hear that. Speaking of disposable income and video games, I'm thinking that so over the course of the last maybe three months on Systematic, I've had at least four guests talk about their Oculus Quest. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking now that I have disposable income and I've heard from people who aren't like your typical gamers that love their Oculus, I might have to get one. Yeah. I mean, I would look at it for sure. I've looked at this too. I think the Oculus, the nice thing that's about that is like, you don't need the space that you need with some of the other ones, right? I, I have no idea. I just know people keep talking about it. So you don't have one? I don't have one. I've played with them. I haven't played with the Quest. I've played with other ones and they're really impressive. Uh, the one thing with Oculus Quest you will need, and you, I don't think have an ideological problem with this, but you will need a Facebook account because <laughs> Facebook owns Oculus and they recently started requiring if you want to use apps and games and stuff, you have to actually have a Facebook account. It used to be a separate system, but it hasn't, it, it isn't anymore. What's neat about the Oculus Quest is that, so you have like the full room scale Oculus and you have like the HTC devices and they're great but they require a couple of things one they require um, a pretty powerful computer you can't really use a mac because of issues with metal and things like that like if, if you ran things in boot camp maybe but but mac is not ideal for that so you really need a pc and, and you need a certain level of hardware that can do the output you also need a room where you can set up the sensors to do the room scale stuff and it's a really impressive experience but a lot of people don't have that sure. you live in a house and you might be able to do it i don't Like I wanted to do that. And then I'm like, I do do not have the the physical space to set up to do VR. We have a setup in in the studio that we never use, but but we have that set up, but I just don't have it. What's neat about the Quest is that you don't need that. And it's a self-contained unit and it's relatively inexpensive. And the experience from what I understand is really fun. I'm very happy with my Nintendo Switch and with my PlayStation and my Xbox. But if I were to get 
like a, a VR headset, that's probably the one I would get. And my friends who have it all really like it. So speaking of new hardware, God damn it, I'm the Segway king today. Let's Bar. talk about the Apple event. Yeah. Oh my God. I If I keep this up, this may be a record-setting Brett, uh, like successfully segues. Oh, it's been like five times. Anyway, yeah. So Apple had an event there. I I absolutely loved the the what would you call uh, Mission Impossible segue they did. Like it mm-hmm. was so cheesy and so it was so bad, cheesy, but, but I, I loved, loved it. it. I loved it too. My only, the only thing, and I said this on Twitter, I was like, the people who did the creative direction for that were probably not alive when Mission Impossible came out, <laughs> which is really depressing. Yeah. Because that movie is 25 years old. But I loved it. I thought that was great. Was I wanna- the, when they took the camera through the grass and the sprinkler yeah. and everything, like it was, you couldn't do this stuff with a live keynote. They're really taking advantage of the medium. They are. I mean, you could do it with a live keynote. You would play like a film. And sure. and then what you would do is you would have somebody, like you would have Tim Cook, like come out on stage after the video, right? Like yeah. dressed the same way. Yeah, you, okay. You, but it certainly was a good example of that. I uh, I loved that. I also loved the woman, and I, I'm sorry that I don't know her name, but who did the iMac presentation. She had the best outfit. Her outfit was so good. She had this amazing, like, like light blue jumpsuit, and her watch was matching, and her accessories on her shoes, her like lipstick. the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely, it was fire. It was so good, and I was like, I was so into that. I am um, when I host Microsoft events, I always try to dress cool and have like a certain look. And I have worn jumpsuits a couple of times, but usually the way that they have me is like in a desk shot. So like you miss half my body and you don't see my amazing shoes usually. And it's, and I'm like, damn it. Like I've put all this effort into this out that nobody sees it. But looking at that was so much better, even like than the stuff that I do that I was like actually inspired. So I'm going to be one of our hosts for, for Microsoft build next month. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm here to play. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that I can like match that excellence, right? Because I I just, I'm a realist and I also know how we shoot things and what our style is for that event and the sort of hosting that I'm doing, which is different than a pre-recorded product demonstration where you have the full shot and like clearly the whole thing was art directed, right? But it was great. And I also looking at what outfits other people wearing, although I'm sure like they were given instructions from people, it felt like it was probably in my experience, maybe I'm wrong on this. Somebody at Apple, let me know on the down low. I will not tell, but I'd just be curious. Like, do you pick your clothes or does a director tell you what to wear? I'm thinking that it's the person who plays a bigger role in picking what their outfit's going to be. But maybe the director is like, okay, what about these colors? Because usually that's some of our stuff. Like I'll bring in, I always bring in options for, for my clothes. And I'm like, all right, you pick what you want or what's going to photograph better. But her outfit was so good. Yeah, I was just like... I, I was entranced. Also, the the iMac part, I felt like that should have been like what they closed with. I don't know about you. I so the only hardware that really excited me. I mean, uh, the iMac stuff was it. It's awesome. It's great what they're doing. No, but you were the iPad, right? No, no. I actually don't give a shit about the iPad. It's weird. I own an iPad <sighs> Pro. I I use it mostly for watching content. Like I don't work on an iPad, but that but Apple TV remote. That Apple TV remote fixes so many problems I have, and I will absolutely be upgrading my Apple TV just to get that remote with the side-mounted Siri button, a mute button, a power button, an asymmetrical design, a click wheel. Mm -hmm. It's got – it's everything. It's everything I've ever wanted. 
you're right. It is. It is. It is everything we've wanted. It is. My my friend Alex Kranz wrote a blog post on The Verge today. She's their new managing editor, and Alex, you have to understand, is famous for having very bad tech opinions and <laughs> um, enforcing them on all of us. And so her blog, I'll, I'll link it because I could not disagree with it more. She's one of my best friends, and I hate this blog. I'm gonna uh, put this in our quick document because it's so funny. It's called "Thank You for the Memories, Siri Remote," <laughs> and and then and then her subhead is few Apple products have engendered as much rage as this very good remote. And then she basically writes a defense of the remote. And I'm like, Kranz, this is bad. That didn't take. Oh, completely. But <laughs> also, she knows that. Like, she might feel this way, but she knows that this is the wrong take. Like, she she's not fooling anybody. And I, I know that the way that they, like, published, I'm sure that the reason they published this is because they've gotten to know her just as I did and love her and are like, this is hysterical. And also, to be fair, it's like such a, like, it could not be further than the Neelai's opinion. And so I love that because she, frankly, Neelai, they need somebody who can push back against him, right? Sure. Like yeah. they need that. But I'm with you. Like the new remote, I don't know if it's $70 worth. Isn't that how much it costs? I, did, I didn't even care. I just, I know as soon as it's available, maybe it is available. I think it is available right now. All right. I'll let you know how much I spend because I'm definitely buying it. Yeah, I'm probably going to get a new Apple TV. I don't know when, but I'm probably going to get one. And the new remote is definitely good. And I think that that is like, I was with you. And it was so funny because I saw it. And I'm like, oh my God, they went back to the old design. And people were like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh my God, we really do live in an era where people don't remember the aluminum remote. And then somebody goes, oh yeah, that was the original Apple remote design. And I'm like, no, no it wasn't. No, it wasn't. The plastic one, which we loved, it had a little magnet, which was which would attach to the side little of your IR remote. It was hilarious. It was also adorable. And front row, man, bring that is the one thing that I am kind of mad at Apple about. Losing they spent front all row. This time. Yes, especially when you have a widescreen twenty four inch like four and a half k panel. That is true. Although, so better touch tool can do stuff with the uh, the Siri remote and your Mac. I don't. I've never tried it though. The, it'll be available on the 30th. So so right okay. before you start your job and it's going to be, I'm trying to see how much, if I know what the remote price is. So the Apple TV is a certain thing, but they will be selling that new remote. So And it'll uh, work with my 4K yes, that I have? It sure, it'll work with the 4K and the oh, HD. Damn. And what's neat is that they will also, like that collab, that calibration feature works, will work on the old Apple oh, TVs. Oh, fuck well. yeah. I was so excited. Like, I don't know if you remember Spiders. Yeah. But back when I worked in advertising, we'll say graphic design more, we used to spend hours calibrating our monitors to match like Adobe color profiles and to try to match your monitor to what was going to come out of your printer that you also spent way too much money on. And you had these things you could attach to your screen with suction cups and it would read the like pixel values off your screen and create a calibration profile for you. And I haven't had to use one of those for almost 15 years, probably. Right. But the fact that I can now do that to my TV with my iPhone excites me more than it should. Oh, I agree. I, I think that it was so funny because I kind of wanted to dunk on it at first. It's $60, by the way, for the remote. It'll be, but you can buy it uh, next week. And I kind of, I, I looked at it and at first. I kind of wanted to dunk on it. And then I was, the more I thought about it, I was like, no, actually, this is brilliant. Like, this is actually the smartest thing I've seen. Yeah. The only thing that is... And and this is not their fault. This would be a difficult thing for them to do. And I wouldn't even like, I wouldn't even recommend they would even try. The only thing is like, obviously, this will only calibrate it when you're using the Apple TV, right? Right. Like, it, it's not going to be able to do it in, in your other apps. But well, how I think would that goes, it, though? 
Right. This is my point. So, because typically when you would use those spiders or do other professional calibration, you have to go into the settings and you have to like right. granularly like control all those things. But the thing is, I think that this sort of reinforces for them the idea that like, yeah, we we don't make a TV, but we make this box that we essentially want to be your TV yeah. and be the only input you use. And I think that's fairly compelling. It's also one of those things that it's not like I'm encouraging Samsung to rip them off. But it would be smart of Samsung and Sony and LG to introduce calibration apps mm-hmm. for their TVs. Because, yeah. like, I've been looking in, it, you can't get them there, like, like graphics cards and everything else, they're out of stock. But LG sells this 48-inch, there's the C10 and the new C1 TV, and it's an OLED, and it's considered, like, the best gaming slash computer slash TV that you can get because it's 4K and it's high refresh rate and it's HDMI 2.1. So it'll be great for the next gen gaming and graphics cards. And then it's a high enough resolution that it can actually be used as like a computer display, high enough refresh rate with that. And uh, people are using it for those purposes. But yeah, I would love to be able to calibrate that with my phone. And that would just be such a, I'm sure that you would still have the people who want the professional calibration would still pay oh, for sure. people to come out and do that. Right. Like this, this is the thing, like, cause I can already hear people's arguments. Oh, the dealers and the installers would be so mad. <laughs> First of all, you're not understanding the market of people who would do this themselves versus people who would call. Exactly. And there's a very, there's no overlap versus the people who are willing to buy a $1,200 TV or higher. In some of these cases, they're many thousands of dollars. And if they want it calibrated, they will pay the extra whatever and get a professional to come out and do it. Absolutely. No problem. Versus a value add to people who would never call a calibrator, like 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 somebody else to come out and do it. They would never do that. But if you had like an app to to do that, would be really great, right? Well, and like, you're bringing like all these people that are, have like uh, we'll say three to three to six hundred dollar TVs mm-hmm. and are getting. Like you as Apple and as the center of all of the content, you have no control over how these people are actually seeing the product. And now you're bringing everyone up to like kind of a level playing field. No, exactly. Benefits everybody. It really does. I mean, especially with stuff like HDR, where the wrong settings and and the wrong stuff can really, because some people will look at HDR content. They have an HDR TV that supports it. And they're like, this looks terrible. And I can't like disagree with them because on a lot of the lower end TVs, and at this point, like you only have kind of, like, there are a couple kind of like, like that LG that I'm talking about is sort of a, what I would call, I guess your mid range, but usually you are only up like very expensive or what most of us have, which are like the three to $600 models. Right. And so, and more people have those three to $600 models. Cause why would you spend more? Like, unless you really need specific features, it's not worth it. But you don't understand. You're like, okay, it does have the capabilities to do this. And the picture quality might not be as good, but it's not hot garbage. But you have to adjust your settings to make that HDR really work. And Apple, and I think even more to the point, like I think this is a really great move from them for like content creators, right? Because if you're wanting people to view your stuff, and then you know that they're only going to be seeing it like looking like crap and overexposed, like that's not cool. So I love it. I'm a huge fan. So tune in next time to find out which which iMac Christina's going to get. We'll save that for the next show. We'll save that for the next one. Actually, that's great to save it for the next one because that will be right before the pre-order is open. And you can hear about my justifications <laughs> for why I'm going to now have two iMacs in my office. So that's a spoiler for next week. 
All right. Great episode, if I do say so myself. Yeah, honestly, I, I was a little worried about this. I'm not going to lie. Just the post-vaccine episodes. Yeah, totally. Totally. But yeah, this was great. Yeah. Nice job. Nice job, everybody. All right. All right. Hey, get some sleep, Christina. Thank you. Get some sleep, Brad. Hope the hope you're feeling better and continue taking some time off and, and enjoy next week. And get through that background check. Absolutely. Fingers crossed on that, man. You're, you got it. <laughs> Later. Later. The system is going down low.